I just want to tell you that the FBI has charged multiple people for uh, peaceful protests at uh, uh, at abortion facilities. They uh, th- this time it's a bunch of basically senior citizens, um, and they were they were all in uh, this hallway to an abortion center, and they were just lining it. They were praying. They were singing. People were coming in, and uh, and um, you know the abortion clinic said, "Hey, we've got trespassers here," and so they were given a misdemeanor by the local police. Somehow or another, the FBI got a hold of this, and they realized that that is a major crime. Could put these people in jail for eleven years because they were they they were forming a blockade. Oh my gosh, I cannot take the hypocrisy here. Um. So they also were um, being told that they also were engaged in misinformation. The FBI isn't even performing the investigations. The DOJ is doing their own investigations and using the FBI as their arm. Normally, the FBI does the investigation, and if they find someone guilty of federal crimes, they issue warrants. The DOJ is sending local branches of the FBI with the arrest warrants to be their strong arm. So the DOJ now is completely, you cannot trust it. You cannot trust the DOJ. It has become an enforcement arm of the Democratic Party uh, or the Marxist Party or whatever. Whoever is really running this place, it has become a wholly owned subsidiary of that group. And uh, you're going to start seeing people go to jail. Do not let this scare you. There are more on our side than on the other. The heavens are engaged. Keep standing. And... We should stand for people who are being targeted by the FBI. We need to stand for them because this is happening over and over again. We had the abortion supporter that confessed to traveling from California to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. Do we know anything about that? What happened to that guy? What happened to that? We have the pro-life teenager in Kansas who reported being assaulted by an abortion supporter while canvassing for a pro-life amendment in the state constitution. In September, an 84-year-old Michigan woman was shot in the back by an abortion supporter. In September, Students for Life, they reported that an abortion supporter threw a cup of urine at two pro-life students while the group was peacefully displaying information about a pro-life campaign. You are going to be despised. You are going to be despised. This has all been, this has all been told before. Uh, Mark uh, Hawk, a pro-life Catholic activist and father of seven, we told you earlier this week that his home in Pennsylvania, the FBI charged him with the same thing. They're charging this, and I'm not making this up. I can't believe it. They're charging. Um, they're charging with the Face Act. A woman who is, I want to make Face sure. Act is, is the act that stops you from uh, from blocking the entrances to clinics, basically. That's, that's, that's what they keep going to here, as if that was occurring. I, we have no evidence that this has occurred. And there's apparently video 
of some of these incidents where that show the opposite. Is this the one in the hallway? Yeah, let's play this video real quick if you happen to be watching Blaze TV. My gosh, it's almost... It's almost like Antifa. Look at them. They're... Hey guys, we need to carry this outside, guys. We can't do it here. We cannot block up the hallways. We cannot block up the hallways. Guys. They're not blocking the hallways, by the way. We They're not. Outside. Do we have an understanding, guys? We need to carry it outside. We cannot block up the hallways. You're not blocking the hallways. He's walking through it, telling that. Easily walking through. Now, now they could, it's not you yeah. could get them for trespassing, which is what the local police do. That was a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. But they're they're going after the one they came in yesterday. Guns a blazing. The FBI guns a blazing at this guy's house. He happened not to be there at the time. He's seventy three years old. Or um, Eva Edel. She's eighty seven. Guns a blazing. Got to take her down. 87. Yeah, no, she was planning on real, doing some real damage. Real danger to society. Oh, my sure. gosh. This An is 87-year-old trying to stop children from being aborted. Yeah. Now, listen, there's something else you need to be uh, aware of. And look, you need, to, you need to begin to stand. I urge you to get the Ten Commandments from um, Martin Luther King. You you have no place in the healing of America if you want to engage uh, with fists or anything else. You have no place in the healing. You will destroy us. Um, and you're no fan of mine. And I'm no fan of yours. Um, but you have to begin to stand. We have to stand for these people. Why isn't there a a group of prayer activists in front of the DOJ every single day or your local FBI office? That's probably more important because I think these FBI agents locally, they know this isn't right. They know this isn't right. The guys in Washington, they're so far lost, I think, that I don't know, you know, the DOJ lost. But not our local guys. I hope to pray. I pray. Why isn't there prayer activists in front right now? Because... They are persecuting people for their religious view on life. These are religious political prisoners in America. I want to give you something else you need to be aware of that happened uh, that we found out about last night in uh, 60 seconds. There is newly implemented measures now that mandate that the FBI pass on the personal information of rejected gun buyers to local law enforcement. As part of a sweeping change, federally licensed firearm dealers, FFLs, are now required to provide the FBI with the personal addresses of any individuals who attempted purchase was denied. Well, doesn't the federal government already have that? Because it is the federal government that denies it. We send in the paperwork while we're standing there and you deny it or you approve it. So you got the paperwork. Not good enough. Now they need the address of anybody who has failed. um, And uh, not only those who are denied, but anybody who has delayed approval. 
and the personal information of the rejected and individuals. They say it's going to law enforcement, local law enforcement. What does that mean? What is the law enforcement going to do? The changes were quietly implemented last week by the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System to comply with the new federal law. Did you even know this was happening? Also, this should terrify anybody and not... This should terrify everybody who just wants to, I don't know, have even a surgeon, you know, reach inside of you and do something. Uh, Maitland Jones Jr., uh, he has been fired for Princeton University after his course was found to be, you'll never fill in this blank. You'll never fill in. Try, try. His course was found to be, you'll never do it. Racist. No, that's too easy. Hateful. No. Um, his, non-gender affirming. No, his organic chemistry course. Uh, uh, it's so easy. Part of the patriarchy? His course at Princeton was deemed too hard. <laughs> too hard. At Princeton? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who wrote the textbook on organic chemistry. Okay, He's in his fifth edition. The textbook. It's too hard now. Uh, he went out of his way. He taped all of his lectures at his own cost so everybody could keep up. You can't make it. You want to go back and reflect. You want to really. Nope. Nope. It was too hard. And, quote, that will keep too many students out of medical school. (laughs) You can't pass this course. Maybe you shouldn't be the doctor. You are not the doctor I am looking for, I think. Holy cow. Now let me talk to you a little bit about something that came up over the weekend and I have been trying to figure it out and talk to some experts. It took me a couple of days to get, get to a place to where I could really explain it to you. Uh, one of the things that's happening in the market is you've got two big banks, Deutsche Bank and uh, Credit Suisse that are about to default, or at least it looks like it. Let me take you back in history, back in March, 2020, right at the dawn of the COVID-19 panic. Some interesting things happened on wall street, March 9th, The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 2,000 points. That's more than a 10% crash in a single day. At the time, it was one of the largest single-day declines in the U.S. history of of stocks. More than $1.8 trillion was wiped out from the U.S. pensions and retirement funds in a single day. March 10th, the very next day, The Federal Reserve began making emergency loans to what were considered to be systematically important banks. That is, banks that are just too big to fail. Now, it's important to remember that we didn't learn about these emergency loans made during March of 2020, just as the WHO and the CDC were declaring a pandemic. We didn't learn about those loans until two years later because the Fed isn't they're no longer required to tell you who they're making loans to or for how much until two full years after it makes the loans. 
So they say that's not to make sure that nobody is panicking. Well, investors, if they knew in real time these banks needed cash, it would cause a run on the banks. So, for example, on March 9th, the Dow lost 2,000 points and more than 10% of its value. So on March 10th, and we know this now because two years have passed, the U.S. Federal Reserve made $112 billion in emergency loans to 24 banks. Stocks rebounded slightly. But then the first deaths started being reported from COVID at retirement homes. Trump canceled the international travel. And within a couple of days, stocks were down another 1,500 points, shedding $4 trillion in wealth from the portfolios of Americans in just a couple of days. For its part, the Fed continued lending, distributing a total of $1 trillion, $1 trillion in emergency loans to banks in just a six-day period. Remember... This is two weeks into the pandemic, well before businesses were shut down. At this point, all that had really happened to the economy was that stocks, you know, the forward-looking investment vehicle, were declining. But this was enough for the Fed to print $1 trillion in new currency and loan it out to the banks considered too big to fail. Not just our banks. No, no, not just the U.S. banks. Some of the largest borrowers in the past 20 years from emergency loans from our Federal Reserve have been foreign banks and investment firms. Uh, Nomura Securities out of Japan, BNC, Paribus, the French bank, Barclays Bank out of the UK. All of these are the largest borrowers from the Fed. So was the largest Swiss bank Credit Suisse? The largest Swiss bank, Credit Suisse, were they on that list? Oh, yeah. Just in six days from March 10th to March 16th, 2020, Credit Suisse requested and was granted $50 billion in emergency loans, more than 7% of the total that the Fed had loaned to 24 banks. But that was COVID, right? Now, it may seem odd that the Central Bank of the United States needed to loan the largest Swiss bank $50 billion in just a few days. Don't they have their own central bank? But let's just chalk it up to yet another COVID emergency. We had to do something. We had to bail out the largest banks in Japan, Switzerland, UK, France. I mean, it was a pandemic. So now fast forward to 2022. All those banks got their COVID bailout. In January 2022, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit a new all-time high. So clearly, the bailouts worked, and the banks made all this money. The banks were able to recover and get past the pandemic, right? I mean, those trillions in loans to banks skyrocketed inflation and, uh, you know, added to the currency circulation, and inflation is defined by, you know, too much currency, too much money chasing too few goods. But we saved the banks, right? We restored the stock market and set ourselves out to a record, a record uh, recovery. Well, yesterday, Credit Suisse flagged as the too-big-to-fail bank by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Their stock hit an all-time low. They shed more than 65% of its value losing 20% of its value in one day. Worse, investors are effectively betting now that Credit uh, Credit Suisse will go belly up next year. We know this because of 
I hate to bring this word up, credit default swaps. I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to get all big short on you, but this is when you have the bonds and you think, uh-oh, I think we might lose, the bank might go out, I buy an insurance policy, okay? Credit, default, and I swap. I swap what I'm holding, I give it to you, and I get the insurance money, okay? Credit default swaps. It's a way to bet on the down. It's horrible. But now, 30%, it went up. These, the price to insure, to insure went up 25% yesterday. Yesterday. 30% of people are now betting that Credit Suisse is going to collapse. So what's going on? Why would it collapse? Again, I'm not going to go into all of this stuff. I just need you to understand the big points, and you will understand. This, this will take your breath away. Again, remember we all talked about credit default swaps and derivatives. Oh, derivatives. Oh, that's horrible. Without getting into all of that, remember when we said that the global deliver, uh, uh, derivatives market after 2008 started going back up again, and it surpassed what happened in 2008, and the global derivatives market was about $100 trillion, and we were like, $100 trillion? That's horrible, and we raised the alarm. They haven't learned anything. In fact, it's gotten worse. Then... It rose to $500 trillion just a couple of years ago, and we raised the alarm again. Any idea where the derivatives market is right now? After two years of pandemic, two years of Biden inflation, and after stocks have lost 20% of their value since January, where's the derivative market? One quadrillion dollars. No way out. One quadrillion. That's one thousand trillion dollars. That's what's held by the 24 largest banks in the world. One thousand trillion dollars. You haven't even begun to feel the pain of what these people have done. Derivatives have been around since the 1920s, but we have gone insane. Now, last year, when a private wealth fund defaulted, it cost the global banks more than $11 billion in derivatives losses. More than $5 billion was absorbed by Credit Suisse Bank. That's nearly half the global losses of one firm. That just had eleven billion. We're we have one quadrillion. Now, if I'm you, I could easily say it's a you know German bank or a Swiss bank, and it's not my problem. But it is your problem because it is your dollar, your currency provided by your Federal Reserve. Why are there not people standing in front of the Federal Reserve demanding answers and holding signs up one quadrillion dollars? 
Where does inflation come from? You think it's all government spending? Collectively, since the Fed started emergency lending operations in September of 2019, and note for you conspiracy theorists out there, September of 2019 was five full months before there was a single positive COVID case in the U.S. And we were talking about it in September of 2019. The foreign banks have collectively borrowed $6 trillion from the Federal Reserve. Now, here's the funny thing. $6 trillion has already gone out. One quadrillion dollars. If the Federal Reserve decides to lend Credit Suisse another $500 billion today or tomorrow to bail itself out of whatever mess it's in, you, the one who's actually paying for this, you won't know for another two years. Because under Dodd-Frank, you know, the one that was going to fix everything, the Fed's reporting requirements now allow for a two-year delay. So if we are bailing out Germany and Switzerland today, make sure you tune into this show on October 4th, 2024 to find out what it costs you. Thank you for being wide awake. Thank you for paying attention. Stu and I were just talking uh, off air, and he just said to me, you know, this, this, these aren't long-term plans anymore or problems. These, yeah. these are happening right now. It's really scary. I talked to Brian Riedel from the Manhattan Institute yesterday just about the debt. You mentioned it quickly as one of the problems, and it seems like it's way down the road. It's but not. We are, yeah, we are, it's not down the road. The government had an, uh, an opportunity to lock in our debt at 1.8% long-term. This is a year ago. Now, Brian, who, is, who came on my show and said this at the time, multiple times, screamed about it, yelled about it. Nobody listened to him. We didn't lock in long-term debt. Instead, we basically stayed on the equivalent of an adjustable mortgage, right? Hey, we'll keep it where it is now. We don't need to lock it in. What if it goes down to 1.5? We'd be stupid to get it at 1.8. So they kept it on adjustable rate mortgages. Now it's gone up to, I think, already 3.8. And again, to remind you, for each percentage point that these rates go up, it costs us $30 trillion over 30 years. So about a trillion dollars a year. For every point. It's gone Mm -hmm. up two points already we generally have been running a budget last year it was 6.8 trillion dollars um but we only take in about three trillion i think when we're really going gangbusters um in, you know in taxes we've been spending about four trillion every year that means that today today just with the interest rates we have two trillion dollars of interest alone yeah we're not getting anything for that no it's important to understand we've already spent that money so this is just your rates going up half of the money that you pay for income tax half of it should go to just pay the loan just pay the interest on the loan money we've already spent correct years ago maybe even decades ago Mm -hmm. so your two trillion dollars they're not going to cut our budget by two trillion dollars they're not going to do it. They'll instead, if it's a $4 trillion budget and we have $2 trillion on top, we'll just take out another $2 trillion loan 
for the interest. This is how you get to hyperinflation. We must cut our spending. Time is out. We are at the end of the road, gang. We're at the end of the road. This election is so important. By the way, you know, I just mentioned this, but I also mentioned uh, the U.S. strategic oil reserves. Mm. Try this on for size. During the Trump administration, Trump had negotiated with U.S. oil producers to use shale to fully feel, fill the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve for $24 a barrel. Okay? Well, the Democrats went crazy, and they blocked that plan. Schumer bragged, going, yeah, you know what? We just blocked a bailout for big oil. $24 a barrel is what he had negotiated. Biden's Green New Deal policies have now effectively blocked all new U.S. oil production and imports since he took office from the Keystone Pipeline to issuing fewer new oil releases to exploratory permits on federal lands. He's done more than any president has done since World War II in the wrong direction. He has spent the last month begging OPEC and especially Saudi Arabia to keep OPEC production at all-time highs, okay? He went over there. They wouldn't even take his phone call, so he had to actually go over and grovel in front of the crown prince. Now, the crown prince, remember, is the guy who they say killed that reporter, Khashoggi. And during his uh, campaign, he said, enough of Saudi Arabia. They killed Khashoggi, and that's crime that's a crime and we will hold him accountable so now he's got to go stand or kneel at the feet of that guy and what did he say i'm really really sorry i'm really really sorry and if you would just if you would just keep the opec production going um i'll grant you diplomatic immunity from u.s prosecution for the murder of Kashagi. <laughs> wait what you could open things up and you could have the oil here. You could go back to the Trump deal, I'm sure, $24 a barrel for shale oil. You won't do it. So you will go to not only beg at the feet of Saudi Arabia, but you will offer him immunity. This was one of the big things that the Democrats wanted. How dare Trump? He's not going to do anything about the murder of Khashoggi. Oh, my gosh, he's a, he's a murderous animal. And the prince of Saudi Arabia is bad, too. And what does he do? Biden goes over and says, by the way, we won't prosecute you on that. And they still not only say no to him, they cut production by 2 million barrels a day. It's important to note, too, before this trip, they were threatening to cut it 1 million barrels per day. And then he made this trip, he begged them, he offered them all these things, and then they cut it by 2, mil- two million barrels per day. Think about this. Uh, could there be a more incompetent person than Joe Biden? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's doing it all in pur- on purpose, and he's very competent. I don't know. But he is. Uh, he's not... He is not acting in the best interest of the United States, or he's no. not capable of doing it. One of the two. No. You know, if if Donald Trump were doing this, or if anybody was doing it, anyone was doing this six years ago, would, wouldn't, I mean, everybody, everybody would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
you're you're wait, you're arresting people who are praying and singing in front of abortion clinics. Okay, maybe we're just going to ignore that. But we wouldn't be go, going in guns a-blazing with an FBI raid when it locally had been dismissed. We would we would never put up with these gas prices. We would have never put up with with Afghanistan and then mm. the politicizing of our troops. We would never Ever. No Democrat. I can't say no Democrat. No traditional liberal would have ever said, yeah, double mastectomy for 12-year-olds. I'm good with that. Oh, we got to cut his penis off? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. He's eight. Why not? Nobody would say that. No one would say that. And now we're apparently okay with it. That's interesting. You trust these people? And, you know, I, I, I made a list today of the most important races out there. And I wanted to talk to you about it, Stu, because hmm. you might disagree. But I think the most important race out there is the Fetterman-Oz race. <laughs> and here's why I say that. Yeah. Not because I'm a big fan of Oz. I mean, if I lived in Pennsylvania, yep, I'd be voting for him. But not a big fan of him, necessarily. Uh, but what does it say about the people in Pennsylvania that they will put a guy in who is clearly damaged? I have, you know, I have great sympathy in my family. My grandfather had a stroke. My daughter had strokes. I I understand strokes and I have great sympathy, but I wouldn't have put my grandfather into the Senate. Okay, I wouldn't do it. I love him, love my daughter, but if you can't function like he can't in a quick uh, debate where there's lots of noise, especially at a time where the president is saying, yeah, we might be in Armageddon, you know, soon. What time is it now? This is the most critical time in American history. And the people of Pennsylvania are even considering Fetterman. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. This is supposed to be our greatest deliberative no. body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know what it says to me? It, it says that we've given up. If yeah, they we, if they we've put given John Fetterman in like yeah. I mean this is like we've we've just we've flushed it we've pulled the yeah. plug out of the wall we're waiting for the heart to stop beating like this is over we've just given do, up we do not have a constitutional republic that's why I think this is the most important one because it says something about Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania voters really you're that apathetic that uninformed or that much just past a republic that you're like whatever it doesn't yeah, matter it's not an ideological split in fact no. you know you'd look at dr oz and if anything and say he's not particularly ideological right I, yeah. I mean he was not the guy we talked about is like oh we this is a great conservative voice we need to make sure dr oz gets in because his positions on taxes are so important like i mean he's a good communicator uh, obviously he's had a, a, a very accomplished career and has a lot of uh, things to uh, you could argue on his side but like He's not a guy that you'd say, oh, my gosh, we can't put him in because he's too conservative. That's not the there's no real argument. There. No, no. It's just you have he a guy. should appeal to the 
middle of the road voter, the middle Democrat that is like, you know what? I don't want any of the crazies. He should appeal to those people. And then on the other side, you have a Bernie Sanders supporter. A guy, a, a guy who wants to defund the police, a guy who is on the extreme left wing of the AOC branch of the party, and because he wears a hoodie and is tall and overweight, we're supposed to just dismiss this? This is the ideological candidate here. When he can think, all he does is think like Marx, and we're going to put that guy in the Senate. At uh, this time. At this time, this when time. he's... He's not even capable of doing the socialist shtick right now. Now, this this should tell you something about the Democratic supporters. He has doubled his fundraising record this quarter over last quarter. Doubled his fundraising. Fetterman. Fetterman. It's come in from all over the country. So there are Democrats who are paying attention. Oh, yeah. And they are sending money to that guy. Well, if he gets in, he'll be a socialist, essentially. So that's obviously something they want. And you might say, well, how can they want a guy who is incapable of really doing anything at this point? Even, I mean, walking around and talking seems very difficult for the guy. Yep. But, of course, this is why he's getting so much money from the Democrats. They want the seat. They want a socialist in there. And also, they know he can't campaign on his own. So everything they're doing is this sort of, like, spending a fortune on people on their in their social media team to come up with new insults for where Dr. Oz used to live. Uh, what kind of platter is he buying at Wegmans? Uh, you know, you, and, it, I, and this is their entire campaign. And it and it absolutely shows that the people who are funding, the people who are really running this show on the left do not care about a republic. You cannot care about a republic, a democratic republic, where you uh, the people elect somebody who says, this person can speak for me. You cannot make that case when the guy cannot speak because he can barely think. You, you don't want that. You want a rubber stamp. That's not a republic. Which one of us hates the Constitution? Which one of us is the radical? Which one of us is pushing for a new style of America? And which one of us is saying, this doesn't work. It hasn't worked for a long time. Let's look at the things that do work, reestablish those, and get rid of all the stuff that doesn't work. Let's use common sense and logic. Oh, I forgot. There is no logic. There is no common sense because in America, there is no longer any truth. Do you want to live in a country? Because this is what this election is really all about. Do you want to live in a country where we're furthering the hatred of one another and we're codifying it? We're making it part of our law. It's part of the mantra. You know, people didn't like Donald Trump because they said he was going to cause violence. Violence is already happening. You may not know it if you just listen or watch the mainstream media, but it's already happening. You look at what happened over, the, uh, over last week. 
18-year-old kid run over by a car. Why? Because the guy is a maniac, most likely an alcoholic. They were having a political argument. He gets into the car. He leaves all in a huff. He sees the boy call somebody. He immediately thinks he's a Republican extremist. And he's calling to get his extremist friends to come kill me. So he runs him over and then calls the police himself. He leaves the scene of the crime and he calls the police himself and says, I just I just uh, hit and uh, possibly killed a extremist Republican. Is this the kind of country you want to live in? There was an 83-year-old woman, a woman, going door-to-door, passing out pamphlets and talking about Proposition 3 in Michigan, which seeks to enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution. She was shot. She was 83 years old. She was in a conversation, I guess a heated conversation, at a residence in her neighborhood. The man who shot her was not involved in the conversation. The victim doesn't know his identity or motive, but she had to drive herself to the hospital. She had to drive herself. She's an 83-year-old woman. She leaves your door. Somebody in your neighborhood shoots her, and there's no one to take her to the hospital? She has to take herself? Is this, I don't care who that is. I don't care who comes to your door. You don't shoot people. Let alone an 83-year-old woman. Is this the America you want? Hillary Clinton, this weekend, compared Trump supporters to Nazis. God, if we didn't have such a bad school system, there's a reason why they buried the Nazis. They buried them in education because we brought a lot of Nazis over here. After the war, we brought all the top scientists over. Oh, well, we, you know, we're afraid of Nazis, but not that afraid of Nazis. And they made Nazis into the big boogeyman because the left prefers communism. But it's the same thing, except one's a public-private partnership, which is exactly what the World Economic Forum and Joe Biden are pushing for. When they say democracy democracy is at stake they mean democracy they don't mean the republic they want one man one vote and that's the way fascism always starts you can vote and they'll vote in who they want and then there's no more vote that's why we have a republic i wish people I pray that people will wake up. I pray that people will do their own homework. People are rediscovering the Constitution and the Declaration. And that's a really good thing. Rediscover your faith. To really know what's true 
you really have to start at the beginning. And if you don't have a faith, I urge you to find one. But if it's just not for you, okay. What were the things that your parents or your grandparents taught you that you know to be true? Just behave that way. Just the things that we all used to know were true. Do that the next right thing. All right, so one of the things that is trending today is OPEC is considering cutting oil production to increase global uh, prices. Oh my gosh, how could OPEC do this? Because it's OPEC. They're not exactly the Red Crescent or the Red Cross. Okay, they're in it for the cash. So OPEC has decided to raise the cost of oil production by reducing oil production. Okay, that sounds fantastic for us at the gas pump, right? Why they're doing this is because you're starting to see the beginning uh, of the Western world not buying as much gasoline. You're starting to see demand destruction. And that, again, is what the Fed has been looking for. And it's so important because they just say this all the time like it's no big deal. We just need demand destruction. That means they need to make your life so unworkable that you can't afford gas. So the price of gas collapses. And you're still not going anywhere. Remember COVID? You're still not going anywhere because you can't afford it because everything is so expensive. That's what demand destruction means. And I, I think that's bare repeating every day because people, if they even listen to the Fed, they see, well, they're raising interest rates. Yes, because Generally speaking, that's to suck money back in and have it go right to the furnace. I'm not convinced that that's what's happening. But by rising by raising the interest rates, everything you have becomes more expensive. And it also means that big businesses aren't going to be getting loans to expand, which means laying people off. This is all thanks to the Fed. Now, there's another thing that you should be aware of. Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank are, uh, are suffering now, if you will, from distressed valuations at the banks. In 2008, Lehman Brothers, the fourth largest investment bank in the U.S., collapsed and filed for bankruptcy. Now, today, Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank, two of the world's largest banks, are suffering from the same kind of thing. The bank's credit default insurance levels are approaching degrees not seen since 2008. Let me say that again. They're suffering from distressed valuations, and the bank's credit default insurance levels are approaching degrees not seen since 2008. Uh, the world economy is looking bad. Energy and gas prices, record highs. Inflation in many countries is the highest in 40 years. The supply chains are fractured still. 
equity markets have shed significant value and tensions between the West and Russia are at a nuclear level. Now the two largest investment banks are floundering and may go under. That'll be good. That'll be really good. Now, Deutsche Bank says, Nein! It will not happen! And the Swiss are like, you know how many banks we've got over here? We have so many banks. We're known for banks. We're not going to go under. So, worry, don't worry, don't matter. But just know that that is actually a possibility on the horizon. And what is our Fed doing today? Our Fed has made a major announcement. They're having a pilot exercise. Let's get all the pilots out and let's have them do jumping jacks. Not that kind of pilot exercise. This one is for ESG social credit scores. Now, Stu, help me out. A social credit score is what exactly? (laughs) Have you ever seen Black Mirror? Uh, I have. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. have. Uh, it's a way to rate your quality as an individual. Uh, uh, do you uh, support the common goals of this society, this social, this social contract we all it, have with each other? Right, but it's nothing like what's happening in China. Oh, it's almost exactly what's happening in really? China. Really? Yes. They call that a social credit so- score? That's exactly what they call it. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the Federal Reserve announces a major pilot exercise for ESG social credit score system. <laughs> oh. Six of the nations, this is according to the Fed, last Thursday, six of the nation's largest banks will participate in a pilot climate scenario analysis. It's an exercise to design or to uh, design to enhance the ability of supervisors and firms to measure and manage climate-related financial risks. Scenario analysis in which the resilience of a financial institution is assessed under different kind of hypothetical climate scenarios is an emerging tool to assess climate-related financial risk. There will be no capital or supervisory implications from the pilot. In other words, They're just working with the big banks to monitor their ability to comply with the ruling class's preferred environmental status technocratic tyranny. That's all they're doing. But no impact on that. Nothing will come of it. No. No. They're just doing it for fun. Everyone loves to come up with a new algorithm for fun. Right. Because this is going to assist people. This is going to help people. Yes. It's always helping. Mm -hmm. So you got that going for you. So... Once they get this pilot program through, it's just going to sit on the shelf and do nothing. Right. That's why every pilot program, when you, like, for example, you create a new pilot for a situation comedy. Correct. You always know you're making one episode and it's never going to be seen by anybody. You don't have a desire to get it on the air so that you can make millions and millions and millions of dollars. You just want to make that one pilot and then put it on the shelf. You can tell your family about how you made a pilot once, and that was that's the end of your story. Amen. You never want to go farther never. than that. Nope. Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo, all part of the pilot program. And uh, that's uh, going to begin <laughs> early next so year. The, the, the pilot 
yeah. he made is being considered by ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, HBO, Showtime, Lifetime, Cinemax is in. <laughs> all of it. They're all in. All of it. Netflix is Even there. Even the Sundance Channel right. is interested. Sundance is in. <laughs> right. You got Amazon Prime. But it's never going to run. No. It's never going to It's just going to go right on the shelf. Right. Right. So don't worry about it. They're just making sure that they can and put this credit scoring system in for social credit uh, just to make sure that it would work should they decide to ever do it. <laughs> Which they won't. It's of course going they won't. on the shelf That's immediately. That's a conspiracy, Stu. It is. It's a conspiracy. It is. Here's 25 speeches of all these people just, you know, describing how they want to implement right. uh, this, but th- it's just a conspiracy theory. Right, mm-hmm. right. And anybody who you know looks at the words of the World Economic Forum, they're a conspiracy theorist. For instance, I gave this news earlier, but I think it bears repeating. Um, during the World Economic Forum anti-disinformation panel last week, um, a United Nations representative announced that they, quote, own the science when it comes to climate information and their partnership with Google. Um, That's kind of saying the quiet part out loud, isn't it? Oh, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think they think we're listening. Uh, and I think they're kind of right. More people are listening, but more people have to listen. We are in a race to a wire finish. Which one of us is going to get our crap together faster. Because right now, they're panicking. Right now, if you see the World Economic Forum, they're like, so people are starting to wake up, and uh, they might come with pitchforks and torches to our castles. Uh, They're already starting to feel, you know, that the crowd is like, bring out the monster! If that happens, they're in trouble. So they've got to move faster and create more chaos. I think, mm. you know, if we if we were playing a game of risk, have you ever played with anybody like this? You play a game like risk and all of a sudden the tables turn. You think you're winning and the tables turn and all of a sudden you're losing. And then that person, because they're a piece of crap, they just pick up the, the whole thing and just throw it off, you know, flip it off and all the pieces are on the ground. That's what I'm afraid that they might do, that they're like, oh, really? Because chaos works in their favor. But don't worry. They've got things under control because people who like freedom of speech, they've, they've already the undersecretary general for the global communications at the UN, Melissa Fleming, said that she's already partnered, the UN has, with big tech companies including, but not limited to, TikTok and Google. Wow, those are little ones. Um, She says the Google search results now prioritize what the UN wants to prioritize and what the WEF wants to uh, prioritize. We've partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted information right at the top. We're becoming much more proactive. 
After all, we own, I'm quoting, we own the science and we think the world should know it and the platforms themselves also do. We also had a trusted messenger product uh, project, which was called Team Halo, where trained scientists around the world and some doctors on TikTok, and we had TikTok working with us. Oh, wait, you had who? Hmm? TikTok. You had the uh, Chinese Communist Party working with you? That's, that's a real surprise. Yeah, no, it's, you're not distrusting, are you? Of TikTok? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, no, I, they're a great authority. It's why, you, as a scientist, you should be bragging about your associations with TikTok. Right, right. And then another key strategy that they announced at the World Economic Forum uh, just last week was we really have a key strategy uh, to deploy influencers. Uh, mm. Influencers who are really keen and have huge followings, but really keen to help carry our message. Uh, that we're going to serve their communities. And they were much more trusted than the United Nations or WELF, uh, WEF telling them something from New York City. Oh, okay. Well, that's really good. And one more thing. Reason number 471 just today on why you cannot be silent, why you have to stand. An Ivy League biology professor is sounding the alarm on how critical race theory is erasing the meaning and even the existence of objective truth from classrooms and teaching a generation of students to treat the truth fast and loose in order to obtain what you want. We're supposed to be training people like biologists that will become doctors to make us healthier. Mechanical engineers that will build bridges or skyscrapers. This according to the professor at Cornell University School of uh, Integrative Plant Science, Randy Wayne. He told uh, in Fox in a phone interview this month, if they're all trained on a foundation that there is no truth, nobody wants to be operated on by such a surgeon or drive over a bridge made by such an engineer. And I'm afraid that's where our universities have gone, training people to treat the truth fast and loose in order to obtain what you want. And in the case of universities, what they want is called social justice, and they're willing to play fast and loose with the truth to get it. This is I mean, this goes back to what they were constantly doing when it comes to global warming. It's okay to exaggerate. It's okay to tell big stories. It's okay to minimize your uncertainty because you're serving a larger purpose here. So go ahead. That's allowed. You know, what's there there are there have been many terrorist groups uh, that have made these sorts of justifications, mm-hmm. you know, where they say, "Hey, you know, I know we're supposed to be very dedicated to this particular god, but if you need to go to the strip club, to uh, cover, you know, that you're an extremist. Wait, wait. What, uh, what faith is this? I, I, I don't have accepting any. New- I, again, this is just a very rare. <laughs> 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 Membership drive is going on now. Uh, but I mean, this is what people do all the time, right? When you want to justify something greater, you have all sorts yep. of exceptions to your morals and principles you can make. Here's a great thing. Heard this phrase over the weekend um, that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of new normals. God doesn't have a new normal. He doesn't. He's not changing. We're changing. We're changing what truth is, but truth hasn't changed. 
So you need to either accept that or get on board for a cruise ship that uh, is right straight from hell. You'll look at the Titanic and go, gee, I wish I would have boarded that ship.